Hello, today I'm speaking with Jeffrey Garriock, cinematographer and creator from Toronto. Now, Jeff, I first met you when we were both in film school in Toronto, and I remember being instantly drawn to your excitement and enthusiasm for film and creative fun projects. I know why I was attending school, but what brought you there? What made you want to study more about filmmaking and video production? Uh, I think it was because very late in high school, I found out that you could do this as a job. Uh, I had a class called Media Arts, which was kind of a catch-all for everything that wasn't traditional art, like if that wasn't painting or sculpting or what have you, where, you know, the school had gotten together to buy one half-decent Mac and then two that weren't quite up to par and then <laughs> 10 computers that they had scavenged from wherever. So, you know, one to three of us could do anything meaningful at any given time. But uh, we had one friend growing up whose parents had a video camera. And so in our spare time, we would go to his place and make stupid movies all the time. And it was just really good fun. And then we would start learning about this in media arts and, you know, have a, a crack at a half decent computer and sort of see, oh, okay, well, it could be this and you could do this and you could use it for this. And uh, then sort of discovered it's like, well, you know, you can work doing this and i was like what <laughs> really and uh and so i applied to a bunch of film schools and i didn't get any of the ones that i wanted which is why i ended up at toronto film school <laughs> but um the nice thing about having gone there is that they did put a camera in our hands on the first day which i really do appreciate and it very much sort of dictated how i got into working in film because a lot of my friends who went to university for film weren't shooting anything into their third year and i mean i do wish i had some more of the ideological background and some more of the intangible stuff the history of film i've had to like come to that later and on my own but uh, in terms of getting work and starting work and actually doing things i think i kind of got a head start as uh as far as that's con considered so yeah no it was just from being a kid and being silly and uh, that was my hobby and now like the job that I do now didn't exist when I went to school but it was sort of the best training I could have had for what I've ended up doing. That's amazing and you know I've I've followed your journey since since school since we were doing projects together. Can you tell us a bit about what you're doing now and can you tell me a bit about working abroad in Africa and Antarctica? Yeah, the two radically different things. But um, basically, so now I work for myself. I worked for Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, which is the big sports conglomerate that runs the Leafs, Raptors, TFC. Uh, and that was kind of how I got my feet wet. And then I moved from there. I got a job at a travel company called G Adventures. And that was always what I, I wanted to travel and get out and see the world and do that sort of thing. And to have a job where that was what you were doing was unbelievable. Like they sent me to Indonesia on my third day of work, which was, it was very surreal. Uh, but um, I, after that, I sort of had a reputation as the guy who does the travel stuff. So everybody else that I had worked with in the past was like, hey, well, we have a travel related thing. Can we send you? Like you've worked in these types of places. Can we send you? So I went out on my own in 2016 and, uh, Thankfully, because of the those two combined experiences, working in, in sports and then working in travel, people would hire me with that sort of stuff in mind. So the working in Africa, for the most part, uh, what I'm doing on the continent, and it's it's not like 
people i one of my pet peeves is how people talk about africa like it's a country and it's this massive enormous place with 52 countries in it and no two are the same even though some have similarities so we work all over the continent we work like from senegal to benin to nigeria to kenya to tanzania to rwanda to south africa like and everywhere in between so all across the continent and that is something i got involved in mostly through uh, an organization called Giants of Africa, which is uh, not-for-profit that is run by Masai Ujiri, who is the president of the Toronto Raptors. And he has been promoting sort of, what's the best way to say this? It's like, like social mobility through basketball. Yeah, okay, so Giants of Africa is all about social mobility through basketball. And uh, the slogan for a long time was basketball as a tool. And the idea is that if you have a passion or a talent for basketball, that can translate into a million different ways that you can improve your life. It doesn't have to be NBA or bust or become a professional basketball player or bust. You can use your basketball talent or your basketball acumen to get yourself an education. Maybe you can use it to help you learn another language. And then let's say you don't quite make the highest level. You can still work in basketball as a doctor you can work in basketball as a marketer you can work in basketball as a coach as a million different things and so it started Masai is like born and raised in nigeria so it started there and then started to expand and expand and expand and i think we've worked now in like 21 countries so i've been working with them is since 2016 although the this is their 25th anniversary so they've been going a lot longer than i have been involved but the majority of the work that I do on the continent is with them. So it's with youth and in basketball. Increasingly, we're getting into doing infrastructure building. So at the moment, there is a uh, they've made a promise to build 100 courts over the next several years across the continent. I think we've done 20 or 25, and we're trying to put more in all the time. So that's, that's impressive. well under That's impressive, yeah. And it makes such a difference, like, just because, like, the reason the world plays football is because all you need is a ball. You don't need anything else. It's so accessible. And like basketball, the the bar for accessibility is not that much higher. But you need a court. You need a court and you need rims and you need a ball. So if we can put courts in as many places as we can and in schools and in public places and that sort of thing, then it's just get about having a ball. And uh, and the rest is a lot more accessible to, you know, billions of people, which is great. So that's that. And then Antarctica is a completely different universe. So that came about from working at G Adventures at the travel company. Okay. One of the places that they take people to is Antarctica. So they have a ship that does tours uh, for tourists. It's like a small ship. It's about 100 people, 100 guests, and they take you to the Antarctic Peninsula. And so we went on board as part of the marketing department to like market these trips and i was my head exploded because I, it was such an inaccessible place i never imagined that i would be able to find my way to antarctica at all let alone you know with a camera in hand and somebody else like sending me there which is amazing but uh, when i was on board one of the they have all these different experts there's an ornithologist and there is a marine biologist and there is a historian and there are all these different people to kind of help teach you about why what you're seeing is so special and one of the people they had was the photographer in residence and so i just grilled them i was like how are you doing this how did you get to do this how do i do it what do i have to do who do i talk to explain yourself and uh and so they kind of gave me the the route map and who I needed to speak to and what I needed to show and what I needed to be able to do. 
And so I asked very nicely, and we don't do it anymore, disappointingly, but the ship, most of them, what they do is they do the Antarctic in our winter, because it's the Austral summer, and then they do the Arctic in our summer. So they kind of go wherever the ice isn't. Um, and in between, some of them do trips in transit. So our ship would go from Edinburgh in Scotland and do the coast of Norway three times and then go to the Arctic and then spend the season in the Arctic. And so the Norway trip is sort of a little less rugged. You know, you're stopping in towns then on buses and there's a lot of infrastructure. So like, we'll try out on the Norway trip and if it goes well, then you can do the Antarctic. And so I did that and then, uh, yeah, I went as the photographer in residence in 2019 to the Antarctic for the first time. Uh, and so it was my second visit, which was crazy. And I stayed for five weeks and we did uh, three trips back and forth. And then uh, I loved it. It's just such a, it's a totally different life. And it's very separate even from the rest of what I do, because normally I'm a filmmaker and photography is kind of a hobby. Uh, and this is just photography, which is nice because it makes it feel a bit less like work and more like a vacation, even though it is quite hard. Like you're waking up very early and then you're up very late. The sun is up all the time. So it really messes with your circadian rhythm. And the weather is often really nice because it is summer, but it's incredibly unpredictable. It can be like five degrees and sunny. And then 10 minutes later, it can be 60 mile an hour winds and snow and wet. Like I destroyed a camera this year uh, because we had 60 knot winds and it was just pushing the rain into my camera. And like those camera bodies are more or less, they're, they call them, what do they say? Weather sealed, not waterproof, but weather sealed. And so like in a bit of drizzle, I've never had a problem before, but I remember looking at it and bubbles were coming out from behind the buttons on the back of the camera. I was like, it's probably bad. And yeah, it destroyed it. And it's my own stupid fault for not taking better care of it. But um, But yeah, I went back again this year and this year I did eight weeks, which was a really long time but amazing and i mean it's just like a whole life because you live with these folks and you work with them every day and you get into these strange routines uh, the highlight by far though of this year was we also visited a place called south georgia and i don't know have you heard about south georgia it's very yeah. it's very famous like in terms of wildlife because it has the highest density of wildlife of any place on earth so instead of seeing you know, 150 penguins, it's 200,000 penguins. And it, the numbers are staggering. Like you just look and it just keeps going on and on and on into the distance and onto the horizon. And you see like thousands of elephant seals or thousands of fur seals and fur seal pups, or, you know, colonies of albatross or king penguins or whatever the case may be. It's just so rich. Like you can't move for wildlife. And so that was a real highlight. I'd always wanted to get to South Georgia, but it's the longest, most expensive trip and they only do it twice a year. So it always used to be for the senior photographers. And I'm only kind of just getting to that point now. Or, and uh, so I'm really fired up. I'm going again in, uh, in October, uh, which I can't, I'm thrilled, I can't wait for. That's amazing. That, that sounds like a dream. Um, you know, you've, you've been so fortunate to, to, to visit so many places and I know a lot of it comes from the hard work and determination that you've, you've put in over the years and going to the right places and meeting the right people. Um, now, what would you say would be the, the thing that really kickstarted it all for you? What was your, your quote unquote big break? Um, because you, you, you've lived and experience things that so many people wish they could. Yeah, it's 
it's a weird thing, the the big break. I, I feel like I'm still waiting for mine, as silly as that might sound, because as wonderful as these experiences have been and as lucky as I have been to be able to do them, I'm still not all the way to what I want to be doing. Like I do get to do it some of the time, you know, a couple of times a year, I'm like, it's this, uh, this is what I want to be doing. And I've finally got it. But I don't know. I, I don't think there's such a thing as like a big break. It's just like hundreds of little breaks that over time kind of add up to something, you know, like, and sometimes it's something quite innocuous that sort of comes around later on, or somebody remembers something that you, they, you said to them at a party and they're like, actually, maybe you'd be good for this. So it's really tricky. I mean, the, in terms of just opportunity, the big break was getting my job at G Adventures for sure, because it just opened up the opportunity to travel. And like I mentioned before, sort of gave me this reputation as a person who does that. And it's one of those like experience things, right? Like you need it to get it, but uh, if you don't have any of it, they won't give you any to begin with, right? Like, so it's, uh, nobody wants to send you on a travel thing unless you have experience doing the travel things, but then how do you do a travel thing to begin with, right? So um, that was really a big opportunity where they would send us out like five, six times a year to do this kind of thing and have an enormous amount of trust. The first two, we went with my boss or like we went with uh, like the director of art department. And then the second one, we went with our art director who was a photographer so they could kind of keep an eye on us, you know, sure. and be like, okay, they're not just going to run off and run up the mountain and have a nice time. And, uh, and then after that, it was quite a lot, a uh, considerable amount of autonomy, which is really crazy. And, and then it's like, it's funny, you feel the pressure or I feel the pressure more when I'm on my own because there's nobody to outsource your accountability to. You look around and you're like, oh, if this doesn't get done, it was just me, <laughs> you know, like a hundred percent of this falls on me. So, I, and I still occasionally, because of the nature of my work, a lot of the time I work on ships or I work at sea and there are only so many cabins or so many beds. So sometimes when we go to do a job, they're like, yeah, there was one space. So we can't send a producer with you or a sound person with you or an assistant with you. It's just you. And we would like you to shoot aerials and underwater and on the boat and conduct interviews and make sure that the sound is good and, and, and. And like, it's really hard. <laughs> so I still, I still feel that some of the time when, uh, when the, there's not a possibility to have somebody else with you. But in terms of a big break, I guess I would have to say it's, it was the opportunity to work with G that has opened a lot of doors for me. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thanks, Jeff. Now, what is one thing that you you would say that maybe you wish you you learned earlier on in your career? Um, I don't really know. I, I mean, I wish I'd learned everything earlier on. You know, I, there are so many, there's no substitute for experience. So maybe it's, you know, get as much experience as you can even if it isn't exactly the type of experience that you want. I know one of the reasons that I got that job is because I did have some travel stuff on my demo reel. And none of that was paid work. None of it was jobs. It was me going on a trip and making a video because I wanted to, you know, because I was like, well, this is the type of thing I wanna do. I will spend my free time and my money doing this. So I had to kind of create my own experience and 
I did that not knowing if it was going to pay off. You know, I had no idea if that was the right move. It was just like, I, this is something I can do. I'm going to have a go at doing this. And now I'm like, oh yeah, no, of course. Like if you're, first of all, if you're doing the thing you're going to get hired to do in your spare time already, that illustrates that you care about it a lot and that you're going to be good at it up to a point because you're going to have more experience than someone who only does it for their job. You know, if you're a woodworker and you sculpt in your spare time, you're probably better than the woodworker who just comes and works nine to five, right? Like it's the same idea. So I would say make your own experience. And uh, the other thing is, and I, I always, I hesitate with the phrasing of this, but tell everybody what you do, like not in an obnoxious way, you know, don't run down the street and shake people and be like, I'm a cinematographer, but like, it's always worth mentioning what you do because you never know where an opportunity might come from. Like I have gotten some of the best opportunities from the weirdest places in the world, like from niche Toronto Facebook groups where I had posted my work to be like, Hey, I'm doing this. And then a fixer who works in Chile is like, actually, we've had someone drop out on this production. Can you come in? I'll see if the director is interested. You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing in this Facebook group to begin with? But if I hadn't gone out to tell people like, Hey, I'm a cinematographer and I'm specializing in travel and underwater. And this is what I do. Maybe that never comes along. You know, maybe you you're, you're in the pub and you mentioned to a person across from you and like, actually like, Hey, you know, our business is about to do a huge rebrand and we're looking for somebody now. Here's my card. Like no one is going. So people will give you opportunities, but nobody is searching the internet to find you. You know, they just want to find somebody who can do the thing and they want to find it as easily as possible. So if you're going to offer that information be like, I'm this person, I could do this. That's the only time you're going to, you know, be discovered as people love to say, people think they're just going to like stand there and the phone's going to ring and that's not how it works. I think, I think you make a really good point. Um, a lot of things I found, at least for myself as well, have come from, from networking, from knowing different people and just putting myself out there and saying hello to people and, and being nice, you know, not everyone has a project that they want me to work on, but it still doesn't hurt me to be nice to them and to Absolutely. be to show interest in maybe what they have going on, because you never know down the road who may introduce you to somebody else or who at the end of the day, at the very least, you made a friend. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the other thing on being nice is if I am going to live with somebody in a tent for nine days in the freezing cold, I would, I want someone who I'm going to get along with, you know, I'd much rather have someone who's nice. And I always say like, I would rather have the third or fourth best person if they're going to be nice than the first best person if they're a dick, you know, like I don't care if the project is going to look better or be better because I don't want the experience to be a struggle and a battle more than it already is. You know, like it's hard enough to make a film like, you know, everything is is difficult, like finding money is difficult, making time is difficult, getting people to commit is difficult. It's all very difficult. You want to add to that by having somebody that you don't get along with who you're going to work with 14 hours a day. Like, no, be nice. It's I'm, you're going to get hired for being nice. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I completely agree. Um, you did kind of touch on a bit of, you know, advice you'd give to new people. Um, but if you had one last thing that you would say to somebody who was just wanting to start out, what would it be? Where would you send them? 
what does this person want to do? Can you give me, can you give me that? Who am if, I giving the advice to? If somebody came up to you today, Jeff, and said, I want to become a cinematographer. I've never touched a camera. Where should I start? Yeah, I mean, okay, I've never touched a camera. I would be like, get your phone out and shoot something. Like, you, you, there's no excuse for I've never touched a camera anymore because all of us have. Everybody shoots stuff all the time. Like, even the least technologically literate grandparent is shooting stuff now. You know what I mean? It's just not how it was. Like, we all carry this shit around all the time. So it, it's just, I would say, do it. You don't need a, you know, $200,000 camera rig to make something good. It's like the Blair Witch Project is an amazing example. It's like a multi-million dollar film because they told a good story in a satisfying way. So I would just say start start doing it with whatever means you have. If you have a camera at home, yeah, go with that. But if you don't, like most folks don't, pick up your phone, make some stuff, you know? And then when you're like, okay, yeah, I do want to do this, then invest some money and get like a slightly better camera or rent a camera or borrow a camera or get your hands on one somehow. And then shoot some more and shoot some more and shoot some more. Like the biggest thing, yeah, the biggest piece of advice is to just start doing it. Don't wait for somebody to be like, hey, I'm making something and it would be great to have you because you won't have any experience. You won't know what you're doing and you won't, you won't have practiced. Uh, and no one will think to ask you because why would they, you know? I'm not gonna pick a person on the street and be like, I need a guitarist, do you play guitar? No? Oh, well, I still want you to do it and this is your opportunity to learn. Like, no, I'm gonna pick somebody who knows how. Like, so I would say start doing it, just start doing it. It doesn't matter like how bad it is because the other thing is your first things, they're gonna be bad. Like that, that's the way it is, you know? Yes, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> yeah, your first projects will suck, uh, but better to get that out of the way when the stakes are really low and then your next one can be good. That's, you know, that's great advice and great example too about Blair Witch. That, that's one of my favorites that I always point to as well. Now, Jeff, where can people find out more about you and about some of the work you've done? Oh my God, I'm terrible at promoting myself. Uh, and I, I used to be half decent at Instagram, but I've uh, really fallen off. But I do have an Instagram. It's just my first name and my last name. So at Jeffrey Garriock. I'm the only one. So my SEO is amazing because nobody else is called Jeffrey Garriott. Um, uh, and then I have a production company called Know Your Onions. And so that's knowyouronions.ca. And there's some things there. And I, if you look me up on, if you just Google me, that's usually a good way to go. I've got stuff that's going on there, which is nice and exciting. I'm soon, but probably not for another few months, I'm going to roll out a whole other way of seeing me where i'm sort of doing like a personal brand to sort of divide the different things that i work on so commercial and corporate things can be over here and the natural history and wildlife can be over here so that depending on when you're listening to this that will uh may or may not exist but it will exist sooner or later oh that's exciting I, i'll have to check it out for sure well Jeff, thank you so much for being here today. Um, you can check out all about Jeff and his work in the show notes below. And that concludes another episode of the Seven Seas Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And make sure to follow us on social media at Seven Seas Prod, P-R-O-D, sure, for, for, for productions. And stay tuned as we continue the conversation where creators can learn from creators. Uh -huh.